0: Hello and welcome to the Mean Time to Insight podcast brought to you by Enterprise Management Associates and presented by EMA Vice President of Research, Seamus McGillicuddy. The EMA Mean Time to Insight podcast explores emerging trends and technologies in the world of network infrastructure and operations. All right, hello everyone. This is Seamus McGillicuddy, Vice President of Research at EMA. As an industry analyst, I explore the technologies and business trends that impact network infrastructure and operations people, in particularly in the enterprise space. And w- in one area that I've been looking at lately is collaboration with cybersecurity or IT security, information security groups. It's something we've been seeing increase over the last few years in my pr- research. And a few weeks ago, I published some market research on the topic, which I refer to as NetSecOps, even though some other people in the industry might have a different definition of that term. I, I just coined it for myself to refer to how networking and security groups work together. Uh, and one thing that I found was in that research was that these groups are increasingly, they're, they're continuing to, to converge and collaborate more than ever for a variety of reasons, which I'm, we're going to talk about in this podcast today. And for this episode, given the topic, I thought it'd be a good idea to bring on my counterpart on EMA's security practice, Chris Steffen. So Chris, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Nice to be here. Thanks, Seamus. Uh, I am Chris Steffen. I am also the VP of Research, this one for information security. I've been doing information security type stuff, technology type stuff for the better part of 25 years now. I am CISSP and CISA and CCZT for Zero Trust for the Cloud Security Alliance. When I am not doing all of this stuff, I take and co-chair the Zero Trust Working Group for the Cloud Security Alliance. And in addition to all that, I actually have another podcast for you to listen to, which is the Cybersecurity Awesomeness Podcast. We talk about all of the goings on, current events, whatever have you in the security realm. And we we do something new, something different every week. So uh, hop on and give a look and I know that it's uh, hosted with um, DevOps Digest. You can go find it there. You can find it on the, the EMA website too. So, uh, But again, Seamus, thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, Chris, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. So um, one of the things that I see bringing uh, networking guys and security guys together is network data. The security team needs it. The network team has it quite often. Before I Talk about what I see. I was just wondering, Chris, what, what do you see in that area?
1: Yeah, it, again, th- everything's a struggle for data, right? So when you're talking about you know, how what you're going to secure when you're talking about zero trust, when you're talking about those things just in general, data is always at the central. Um, we're not necessarily trying to secure people. We're trying to secure the data that the people are using. We're not necessarily trying to secure computers. We're trying to secure the access and workloads and data that those computers are using a computer without data is really just a black box doing a whole lot of nothing. A a person that's not accessing data or or devices or computers, you know, might be, you know, a restaurant waiter or whatever, something that has nothing to do with anything that has to do with technology. So data is central to all that. And when I look at the security realm, I know that data is really the center of a lot of our initiatives. And if it's not the center of those initiatives, it likely should be. Because once we understand how to secure our IP, understand how to secure the infrastructure and the devices and the people that are accessing that data, everything else kind of falls into place. So when I'm talking about zero trust, there's a lot of different components to it. And we'll we'll talk about ZTNA and SASE a little bit later. But when, when I look at zero trust in general, I look at it from a data centric approach and then it obviously your policies, your access, all is derived from what you're going to do with particular data, how that data needs to be classified and secured at the organizational level and what you're going to do with it and how it can be used and where you can be used from and whatever have you. So again, data is very, very critical. Network has access to all of the information I need to know to classify my data, understand my data state, sometimes even, you know, the, obviously the the connectors between different data stores, different data geolocations, whatever have you, that's all controlled by the networking team. That's great. I think that the security team and the networking team are incumbent to work hand in hand. I think, as you said, Seamus, I think that's happening more and more, which I personally think is a good thing, but I don't want to, I I think that we're finally making progress where these kind of separate organizations are becoming more integrated into the business process as a whole. And this is just yet another example. So the more that business network and security can all play on the same team and do the same things, the better it is off for the business in general and the stronger your security and your network infrastructure are going to be because of it.
0: Yeah, I agree with all that. One thing, well, there's a couple of things that I've seen that I think networking security groups need to understand and, and talk to and um, sort of build best practices and processes around. One is traffic data. Network ops operations guys often tell me that Security groups increasingly asking for traffic data, especially packets. Um, sometimes security groups have access to packets themselves, but but sometimes uh, a cybersecurity team is investigating something and they'll come to the network team and say, hey, can I see all the traffic that passed between all the VLANs in the data center? And um, the network team will be like, you have to be more specific.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that's not an easy question to answer, and you, you you also have to understand. So I always have this conversation too. We're, we're security people are busybodies by their very nature. We don't trust anything just as a general rule. So we mm-hmm. might be asking for the world, and and it's incumbent upon the network team to say, well, we can help you find the information that you're looking for, but you need to give us more information about what you're looking for than all the network traffic period at any given time, because that's not, that isn't reasonable. Most of the security people I know have a pretty strong infrastructure background. With, and with that, I say, I hope they aren't asking to have visibility into every packet, every location, every, every, from everything, because they should know that that's not realistic either. I'm, you know, I'm a former CCNA, CCNP in the old time days. So at least I understand that in the grand scheme of things, but maybe people don't. And so the networking team it's incumbent on the networking team to educate our security, you know, tinfoil hat types and and get them to understand that we'll help you. You just got to be a little bit not insane about your request
0: yeah, absolutely. That's good that's a good perspective from the security side of things. Another thing uh, the the research I published recently found that um, secure access service edge is one prominent uh, technology that's causing uh, collaboration between these two groups. Uh, for people who are uninitiated, uh, secure access service Edge or SASE is a convergence an architecture that converges software-defined wide area networking technology, which is often known by the networking team. And a bunch of cybersecurity services delivered via the cloud, I sometimes referred to as secure service edge, converging those into a unified architecture. Quite often when an organization starts to adopt SASE, they might adopt a, a single platform that does all that, or they may integrate multiple platforms, which is actually more common from what I'm seeing. Uh, At least for now, despite some uh, other analyst firms trying to push people towards a unified solution. And I think one of the reasons why a lot of organizations have been adopting a multi-vendor SASE solution is because you have the the networking team that traditionally owned SD-WAN and then you have the cybersecurity or information security team that owns a lot of the, the security solutions that might be delivered through the cloud. Uh, traditionally and now they're bringing their preferred vendors together or they're bringing preferred uh, uh, expertise together and they're they're finding they're sharing responsibility for those things like quite often they they share responsibility for vendor selection implementation budget operations um not always um sometimes one group I, i've talked to one network architect who told me that his his team owned all of sassy and just um provided like Role-based access control and reporting to the security team, but that's—I think—that's a major driver of SASE in my, opinion. I mean, of 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 networking security collaboration. Are you seeing anything, Chris? Because you look at SASE too.
1: Yeah, I do. Um, you know, so let us unpack some of the things that you mentioned because I agree with nearly all of it. I I would go so far to say as when you start taking and looking about single vendor SASE implementations, I know they're out there and some of them are great. I will tell you that the interoperability of all these various tools make taking and finding the best of breed or, or truly just simply adopting and modifying the solutions that you've already spent money on, that you're already familiar with, that you already have in place. A lot of times that probably makes the most sense instead of taking and dedicating resources to learning and integrating yet another tool that may or may not do everything that you want to do, or at minimum is another tool that you're your SOC, NOC team has to take and understand and learn. So I I always want to start with that. Tool sprawl is a huge problem. It's a problem that is not limited to the network team. It is not limited to the security team. And when you put them both together, you're talking about, and I don't want to exaggerate it. The the last research I did said there was like 5.47 tools that are security and security only. And of those tools, um, nearly... Uh, half of them are, were duplicative in nature, meaning that they all can, kind of did some of the th- same things, but some of them did things better than others or they inherited some of those tools or or whatever have you. You see a lot of the same things with, with SASE implementations in general. I also want to take and talk about you know, the zero trust component of it. I know that that is a big part of the collaboration is that there is directives from on high, on high being whoever you know controls your budget, controls your ideas, controls your strategy that we need to figure out how to use this zero trust thing for, for either vendor due diligence requirements, or maybe even regulatory requirements or or whatever have you taking and establishing a zero trust architecture and solution within your environment is a lot of times a very compelling reason to do that. And SASE, you know, ZTNA is one of those, you know, examples, right? We can talk about, you know, software defined perimeter versus ZNA. I'm kind of near and dear to that topic, but, um, the reality of it is is that, to, to your point, Jim, is you're seeing that collaboration happen because there isn't really enough resources in any one of those silos to do it all. And it's, again, one of those cross-collaboration efforts probably makes the most sense for organizations of every size, much less the enterprise size, so on and so forth, because there really is so much data, there really is so much expertise needed that that cross-collaboration actually is a benefit, not a detriment.
0: Yeah, we could have made uh, zero trust network access a, a standalone oh, uh, topic of discussion. Um, that's another piece of research I've done recently is like, hey, how network teams, now that you have all these remote workers and hybrid workers, like what are you doing to modernize remote access and and how is it impacting your approach to access policy globally um, when you have hybrid workers floating between home and the office? But yeah, ZTNA is a big pillar of uh, Sassy, I agree, and but a lot of people are <laughs> adopting ZTNA without even thinking of Sassy. Um, it's a big universe to to discuss, but one one last thing that I wanted to cover here was um, cloud, especially like multi-cloud. I've been looking at that a lot, um, just the networking impacts of uh, enterprise on the enterprises when they they go from you know one provider to two to three, and you know in terms of history, that probably a lot of listeners are familiar with, when enterprises started migrating applications and data to the public cloud, like the network team, from my perspective, lost a lot of control and influence. They might consult on things, but for the most part, network engineers and operations people were told that the cloud team, uh, well, they told me that the cloud team wouldn't even let them look at the cloud environment. They just say, hey, provision my direct connection from our data center and just you know, maintain that, and, and and we'll handle what's going on inside the cloud. But today, as huge cloud mistake, team, by the way,
1: I mean, yeah, I know. Oh yeah, right? I mean, does not even get any more than that. But I mean, huge mistake.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've heard horror stories, and I think like the horror stories are increasing because more than eighty percent of the enterprises I surveyed most recently told me they're going to be multi-cloud by the end of this year, and. A lot of those are silo- siloed clouds, but a lot of them are, inter- are interconnected um, and even hybrid multi-cloud. And it's adding a lot of network complexity inside cloud environments and between them. And now the network teams are being asked to set up some sort of like network services and guardrails around it to maintain resiliency and security. And I see this as an opportunity for the network team to take back some control if they want it, I don't know. What, have you seen anything similar to that on your side, Chris?
1: Yeah, I have. And, and let's start with some more basic than that, even. So when you start taking and let's start with the, the, the basic environment, you know, your computer closet, so on and so forth. I would argue that most of the people out there today struggled to secure their computer closet, right? I mean, it was, you know, they, they either got virus attacks or malware or had trouble patching or just following best practices. And so a lot of companies decided, well, we're going to offload a lot of that brain damage. We're going to offload that to the cloud and it'll be the cloud's problem. Well, first of all, that's that is absolutely false to begin with. The cloud provider is not responsible for your security. They believe in something called the shared responsibility model, which doesn't divorce you, the end user, from having to follow best practices and security. And that holds true on the network side. That holds true really on all the workload parts, the data parts, the infrastructure parts, all the parts that really matter. You didn't get to just magically give that power over to the cloud, or the cloud was going to magically take care of it. Our friends at Amazon, um, AWS, our friends at Microsoft, our friends at Google, they have been screaming at the mountaintops for years and years and years now, pay attention to the shared responsibility model. Here's what we're responsible for. Here's what you will always be responsible for. And never the two shall meet. That—that That is why they spend so much time and effort taking in and publicizing the shared responsibility model. It's critically important, not just from a security perspective, but from a networking perspective as well. Secondly, the idea that when you have a cloud environment and even worse, a hybrid cloud environment, that somehow you reduce your complexity or reduce your need for networking is laughable. I mean, you literally took an exponentially increased the complexity of your, your environment, networking, security, operations, you name it, it all got more complicated. Is it better? Sure. I mean, I can make all kinds of arguments in that that area too, but it doesn't change the fact that if you don't do your due diligence and you don't pay attention to how it is configured, provisioned, connected, whatever have you, you're going to have some very, very significant problems. So this idea that you don't consult the networking team when you're setting up your your cloud or even worse hybrid cloud environment that again, it's, it's a horrible, horrible mistake. As I mentioned before. And if, if some of these organizations are choosing to take back some of their power in the networking team because of this, then fine. Great. I support that wholeheartedly. I wish they had never lost that power to begin with.
0: Yeah, I agree. They shouldn't have lost that power. Some of them were like, okay, it's less work for me. Others were like, no, wait. <laughs> what what no, am I going to do now?
1: Right. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> but that, see, I'm not, people worry about taking and, and clouding themselves out of a job. I, I used to talk um, about virtualization and the x86 virtualization wars when VMware and Microsoft were just coming out with their, their Hyper-V and, and ESX solutions. And people were worrying about virtualizing themselves out of a job. Never came to be. Now people are worrying about you know, AI and clouding themselves out of job, that's not going to happen either. If you are a technical expert at your field, there will be a need for your expertise in whatever revision we come up with because you you aren't going to be able to eliminate the human need to double check, configure, set up. You might be doing more advanced stuff. You might be doing stuff that quite bluntly is more fun than taking and being, you know, a firewall log monkey because I was that guy. Um, I don't look forward to going back to those days, but now we have technology that takes care of some of those things. If we can take care of some of those things on the cloud side, then so be it. But it doesn't change the fact that it's still going to be absolutely critical to have network security professionals overseeing those environments. Because at the end of the day, when you have an auditor come in... They aren't going to ask the computer what's going on. They're going to ask the network administrator, the security administrator, explain to me why you have this design or these control gaps or whatever have you.
0: I have this theory that um, if the network team figures out how to partner effectively with the security team, it can help them improve their overall influence and control in the cloud side of things. I see really strong interest in networking and security teams um, enabling self-service capabilities for cloud ops around network connectivity, routing, um, NAT, um, firewall, stuff like that. So that they can sort of put together like standard services uh, as two unified groups around networking and security. And then the cloud team can just um, implement those services through their orchestration platforms. There was definite interest in that when I was asking enterprises about it. Uh, are you, what are you, do you have any thoughts on that, Chris?
1: No, I, I think you're right on, right? So there's a lot of adversarial thoughts going on between the different silos in IT, be, be it security, be it networking, be it traditional ops, be it you know net compliance. That's another one we could have a whole conversation on. Um, and, and the reality is that those organizations that find it within themselves to collaborate, work together, not only have greater influence at the C table, but end up at the end of the day with a much stronger, more resilient business that quite bluntly is a better place for everybody to work. And when I what I mean by that is that you don't end up having these ridiculous middle of the night fire drills. You don't, Everybody is kind of on the same page as to what the priorities are. Everybody kind of sticks, sticks up for one another and you end up with just a more collaborative, better environment. I think that you're going to start seeing more than that. I more of that. I think that with some of the recent SEC rulings on the security side, giving real honest voices to technology and security professionals at the board table, at the decision maker table, I think you're going to see more collaboration just because it's, unfortunately being forced, but fortunately something's being done about it. Um, I think that with a lot of the vendor due diligence and compliance related things, you're starting to see the C table paying more attention to technology, networking and security, both because again, they have to, they have to. security might be a nice thing to have, but you got to have compliance. You got to have compliance to take and keep the lights on. And at the end of the day, the, the purpose of networking and security and IT in general is to you know, help the business keep the lights on and, and grow the business. If you're not in business to do those things, if you're not in IT to do those things, you're probably in IT for the wrong reasons. And so anytime that you have the ability to cross-pollinate, to learn those skills, to help out the other team, to support your each other's initiatives, the better off not only your division is going to be, but your company is going to be as well.
0: Well, I think that nicely wraps things up, Chris. Thanks for that. So I think uh, we'll end it there and just say, you know, hey, if you're a networking guy, if you're a security guy, and you haven't talked to your counterparts on the other side of the aisle, other side of the, beyond the silo, think about doing that and uh, working well together because it, it's going to help you and it's going to help the business. Chris, thank you.
1: Uh, you're, you're very welcome. And again, anytime that I can help you or help your listeners, if you have security questions, so on and so forth, you can find me at EMA. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to talk, always happy to you know chat about what's going on in the industry. And my sole goal is, again, to help people improve their security. So any way I can do that, I'm always happy to help.
0: Great. All right. With that, we're signing off. You can find me at emausa.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter, which I still call. It. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Seamus, for all your great insights on today's topic, and thank you to everyone who listened. Learn more about Enterprise Management Associates Research and Consulting Services by visiting enterprisemanagement.com.